Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our home away from home studio where things have kind of gotten back to normal. Yes. No, no champagne this month, <laughs> no notoriety this month. It's just us. It's just the RV navigators in the raw. Well, well, well I'm not in the raw, but <clears throat> let's see. I do have my clothes on. As we normally are. But we have the air conditioning on. Because it's hot here in Florida. <laughs> I feel so guilty saying that. First day that. in a long time, though. We've had we've actually been saving on electricity big time, but today it's kind of hot out. And humid. It's oh, humid in Florida. but I miss the snow. No, you don't. <laughs> I have my Waze cams that are focused outside of our doors at our home in Chicago, and I see actual snowflakes coming down and today. So we can closely monitor exactly what we're missing. But strangely enough, we are heading back oh, to snow. I'm very nervous. In less than a week, which makes me confess that we are recording this slightly early. We are very loyal to the concept of posting on the first day of the month. And on the first day of the month, we will probably have no Wi-Fi at all mm. because where will we be? We will be in on the way to Antarctica. This has been a very short month. Not only is it only 28 days, but we are broadcasting here quite early. We're cheating. Broadcasting. We're narrowcasting. Recording. Recording. Because, as she says, we are, for one of our very first times, really afraid that we will not have any capability to post this podcast episode on the day that it is supposed to be posted. So we are doing it uh, before we leave, we, we, and we leave on the 24th. So, ladies and gentlemen... If there's any breaking news that breaks <laughs> after that, we won't be talking about it. Not only that, but if you are trying to communicate that with us uh, if you're hearing this at the beginning of march and of course this is the march episode and it is episode number 167 of the rv navigator and if you're trying to contact us in the first part of the month the first half of the month of march please be aware that we will probably have be delayed in, in answering because we are going to be on a ship that is in the southernmost part of the world. And we're still having people who are joining our Facebook group, which involves a little activity on our part when they ask to join, and that's probably not going to happen for a while either. Yeah, but so, they won't know that because they, well, they could listen. They could to be listening. Yes, yes, you're right. So um, please, please understand that we will not be providing our usual good service, whatever that means good service. Well, we certainly try and we're happy to have all of our new listeners joining us. We have had record downloads, uh, frankly, of all of the episodes have been very popular. So if you were listening to the January podcast, uh, we had a huge number of downloads, uh, over 35,000 now as, as of this date. Even last month's was dramatically uh, increased, but we hope to, that you will stick with us for the next few months as we travel and have adventures that you will want to hear about. If we need to mention to those of you who are new or remind those of you that are not um, we put up a monthly photograph that turns into a screensaver and this month we have a guest 
And as a result of an email, I'm also now putting in where they are. Where they are. That's so. a good suggestion. Yes, that was I hate that when I look at a beautiful picture and I don't know where it was taken. So you're saying that I have beautiful pictures? You do. But you've been there. Yeah, those I know. <laughs> I'm talking about other people's beautiful pictures. But this one was taken in the Sand Dunes of Colorado. Have we been there? Um, no. It's an I interesting drove, picture because it has by. three coloration layers, which is quite interesting to look at. I think we only drove by. We only drove by, so we actually haven't been to this place. Well, that'll be quite a nice picture to see, one that we haven't taken on our own but would like to take. So our upcoming trip to Antarctica, of course, you can only get to Antarctica on a boat. So we are flying to Buenos Aires uh, on the 24th of February, and then we fly to Ushuaia. A city we've actually been to before, at the very bottom of South America. But the last time we were headed north. And anybody from our part of the world, the New World, uh, who goes to Antarctica leaves from Ushuaia. I think on the other side they leave from New Zealand. Uh Um, But it's one of its main functions, I think, is as a staging city for Antarctic trips. And, of course, you cannot fly to Antarctica unless you're a scientist. So everybody takes a boat of one kind or another. They're usually ice-hardened, and we are going at right at the end of the summer, which is uh, February, and we will be then spending about six days in Antarctica of, of a seven day, 17-day cruise, and then we sail over to the, the Falklands, and we end up in Montevideo, Uruguay. So that's a 17-day cruise. Uh, a lot of it is at sea, and we make at least five landings in Zodiacs. Weather permitting. Weather permitting. When they're, Hopefully we will have some spectacular uh, ice views of the glaciers and the icebergs and great animal pictures. Mostly pelicans. I've been working hard this winter trying to memorize the names. Penguins. Penguins. Yeah, I've been working hard to try to memorize the names of the water birds here, including pelicans. (laughs) And And we just saw those yesterday. And now I've discovered that there are 17 different kinds of penguins. Oh, no. They don't all live in Antarctica, however. So I've got to learn the names of those if I'm going to label my pictures properly and sound like I know what I'm talking about. So this is going to be a quite an interesting trip and, and a definite expansion of our horizons uh, as opposed to other cruises that we've taken. This is an expedition cruise. They give us jackets for the winter. They give us boots. We have to take rain pants. We have to take waterproof this and that, gloves. We have to have inner gloves, outer gloves. We have to bring doctor forms that we're healthy enough and to a, do this. Yeah, and there's no rescuing in case you have a heart attack or something. So, so nice knowing you. <laughs> This will be the last edition of the podcast. One of us has a tendency to get seasick under more adverse conditions, so I am a little bit hesitant about that. We've done a lot of this sail before on bigger cruise ships, and I've been just fine, and the weather has been just fine. I'm a little worried that I might enjoy this trip more in the retelling than in the actual experience of it, but it is a thrill to finally be going to the seventh continent. And will we have internet? Well, it says maybe. Yeah. I did put the eSIM in my iPhone. My new iPhone has uh, the capability to have two SIMs. If you're not familiar with the word SIM, it is the card that connects you to your provider. And the new iPhones have the capability to have two SIMs, which means that you can have 
two phone numbers and two providers. So I put the eSIM for our Verizon, and then I'm getting an, uh, a SIM card, which will be applicable for South America. Although, as we have done the research, we're actually finding that Verizon has some decent plans for us to use in South America. In this particular circumstance. Yes. Because most of the trip, we are not going to be in South America. We're going to be in Antarctica or at sea, where there may not be any phone service anyway. Uh, there really are only a few days at the beginning and end of the trip where having a South American yeah. SIM card would be practical and usable. So the eSIM uh, with Verizon uh, allows you to have, for $10 a day, you get your same call package that you have back home, which is a pretty good deal because we'll only need it for three or four days, so that's cheaper than actually buying an, an, an ES, a regular SIM in the local country. So in this case, we may just go with Verizon. I never thought I would ever say that we would stick with Verizon for overseas coverage. but It's very clear to me that this cell phone travel topic is a um, moving thing Uh, you can never really get on top of the situation because plans change circumstances change technology changes and if you're a world traveler it's different in different places so you really need to do your homework before you plan on using a phone outside of the u.s but getting started with a data plan and a voice plan for outside the country starts at usually in the 50 dollar range so i don't think we're going to use this for five days so we will probably just go with the Verizon at ten dollars a day, and even if we and if we decide not to use it on any given date, I think it's a twenty-four hour period that you get. Mm-hmm. So if you start it at ten o'clock in the morning, you get it to ten o'clock the next morning. So hopefully, when we talk to you again next month, we'll remember to tell you how that all turned out. <laughs> well, there's not much jet lag. There's only two hours difference, right, but it's right, a, still a right. long flight over ten hours to get to Buenos Aires. But do you think in a month you're going to remember what you're saying today? In a month? Yeah. How about tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) You're very optimistic. (laughs) You have to go back and listen to what you said. So on a much more short-term basis, one of the things that we've done this month is to visit uh, a place called Jetty Park, where we had a very interesting experience, because Jetty Park has a unique Uh, Location. It is located at the mouth of Port Canaveral in Port Canaveral, Florida. And although it's only 28 miles from our current campground here in uh, Titusville, we drove down there. Well, we had a hard time making a reservation. It's a very popular municipal park. And one of the reasons we had a hard time getting in is we discovered that people who camp there love it so much, they come back year after year, and And they they are allowed to take long... More multi-month yeah. reservations. That's unusual for a municipal place. Yeah, so. most places allow you just two weeks, but here they allow you as long as you want to stay, apparently. And the searching tool that we used, we were always looking for a site that was available in the area with utilities and water and all those good things, and those were always booked up. So Ken noticed that there was a three-day period in the boondocking area where we could get in, and we snapped it right up. And it ended up being a huge blessing because the boondocking area is right on the water, right where the cruise ships go by. And you can sit there in your lawn chair with a glass of wine in your hand and wave at the people who are waving at you as they are leaving the port. Exactly. It's very much uh, a viewing sort of situation. It's fun to see the cruise ships come in and out. Well, 
We didn't Go see out. them come in. <laughs> I did. No, you said you got tired and went back to bed. Well, I saw one. The published schedule doesn't really match their actual schedule, and it's usually still well, dark when they are sailing Well, I in. wanted to get up, and I wanted to have pictures of it, but when I got up at 4 a.m., it was dark. dark. Can you believe that? Yep. The, the God blessed sun did not cooperate and come up early for me to take pictures. So you have to go I got to Antarctica where it'll still be light at 4 a.m. Oh, is that worth it? I'm not sure. <laughs> Where they have sun, you... Oh, oh. So, to be honest, we only saw the ships leave. Because that was at a more humane hour of the day. Five o'clock, yes. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun to see. Because this is uh, the second uh, busiest port in, in Florida. Every day there's a couple ships that sail in and out. And that's on an every day. So there's a, a variety of ships to come in and out. And very recently, the Epic, we saw the Epic sail on its ill-fated trip where it had the accident in Puerto Rico. So, And we've done this many we've times seen a lot. as cruisers waving down at people, and it was kind of nice to do it from the other side. Yeah, we took pictures when we came in here on the Symphony and took pictures of the park, and that's kind of where we got the idea that it would be fun to stay there. So we were boondocking. We had the option, or well, we thought we had the option of either staying in a full-service campground, which had... Uh, all three hookups, or we could just stay boondocking. And because we have plenty of capability to boondock for three days, we decided just to give the boondocking a try. And how did it work out? Perfect, because you have us so well set up for boondocking. <laughs> we have the generator, which we ran when it got dark, and we have the solar panels on the roof, which kept our batteries functioning well during the sunny day. Because we were not parked in the uh, full utility campsites, which also had trees, we had the benefit of full sunshine all day long, and it kept things humming. And I'd like to give a little tip here to people. Uh, I was reminded of this as we came home, because, of course... Our batteries were heavily used during this time because we were uh, required to turn off the generator at 10 o'clock, which means we had to run overnight without the generator on. And then during the day, we the solar panels did a pretty good job of keeping the batteries charged. But, you know, they do deplete just a bit. And remember, we do have an all-electric coach. So yes. everything we do inside is heated by electricity. It's not or run, heated by run it, but by it's run by it. <laughs> run by electricity. <laughs> and when you come back to your campsite or when you plug in again, a, a lot of people have had this complaint that when they plug into the pedestal and then they go inside and turn on their air conditioner or turn on their microwave or they start using uh, a lot of electricity, especially if they're on 30 amps, suddenly the pedestal's breaker blows. And they're very perplexed about this because they say, we don't have anything on. There's uh, Everything is off. But there are some parasitic loads that can cause you problems, and I would like to mention at least one, and that is your battery charger. Now, we have uh, quite a few batteries, but this doesn't really make any difference how many you have, because if they're depleted, then your battery charger, as soon as it's plugged in, is going to start sucking juice for the batteries. Our battery charger takes at least 15 amps. So that means if we're plugged into 30 amp power, that it's going to use 15 or half of the power immediately for charging the batteries. So that if you turn on the air conditioner and or a microwave or make coffee or something, it's going to blow the pedestal. 
because you're using more than 30 amps. And even if you have 50, that's going to be taking a substantial amount of power just for the, the batteries. And that could last a while. I yeah, mean, that could last a couple say. hours or it could last 15 minutes, depending on the, the state of charge of your batteries. And by the way, this can happen if you're driving down the road and you have your refrigerator on and you're getting to a campsite and immediately you plug in and you want to have the air conditioning running, but it can't because your batteries are being charged. I think a lot of people, they don't understand the parasitic loads. Can you turn that off? Well, on mine, I can choose how much uh, battery, how much of the power goes to the batteries. And, of course, it'll take longer to charge. But what happens is is that uh, if you have a three-stage charger, is, is that it charges the batteries in a big way uh, at the beginning, and then it slowly tapers off as time goes along. So after half an hour or so, you can see that the batteries are more charged, and you'll be able to have more electricity for the other things in your RV. But if someone's in a trailer that doesn't have a sophisticated uh, energy management system, can you turn off the recharging the batteries? Probably not. So, and you might not even know what's going on. Yeah, you may not know it. I mean, I have a little gauge that says this is how much power is going to the batteries. So that's the priority of your RV is to get itself charged back up it, always. Well, the converter just does that uh, just automatically, and anything else will just be on top of that so that's a, a, a limitation that you have to think about uh, also of course if you plug in and your hot water heater is on electric if your heat is on electric so all of these things can draw power and you may not even think about it because heating your water it just happens so of course your refrigerator is also another item that could if you have a absorptive refrigerator that could that could take power too those are all heating elements that are not obvious and you don't see them and that they don't really get the benefit of them immediately so one thing i remember you doing while we were at jetty park is you turned off the water heater because you really only need the water hot to do dishes or to well, take I didn't a shower run, when i didn't want to run it on the generator during the day we didn't need yeah. it to be hot yes and the, but, but i didn't want to run it on the generator things either. you don't because <coughs> the generator has a limited amount of power and things you don't think about when you're just plugged in to a pedestal so the bottom line here here is if you plug in and your batteries need charging whether it's after a day of driving or after it's boondocking then just wait a while for the batteries to pick up a charge and then they will slowly decrease the amount of power that they're using now we also had the pedestal go because of our recent alternator problem uh -huh. because it was not fully charging the batteries that run the engine is that do i have that right so that when we came back the energy management system was trying to recharge those batteries because i remember starting to cook and then we lost power and that was why. Really? I think so. I don't think so. Mm. Those batteries are much smaller. Well, we don't usually blow out the pedestal here, and we did that day. Mm. I mean, this is 100 amp, so it would be unlikely that if you're plugged into 50 amp, which is actually 100 amps of power, that you would have that kind of an issue. And, of course, with our energy management system, we don't always know it right away. So now we are hitting a wall here because we don't know exactly what the problem was. No. But it hasn't happened again. So, no, ladies no. and gentlemen, I, disregard I this. I, <laughs> Your RV navigators have stumbled up against... Well, that was when we were having the problems with the alternator before yeah. we really got it fixed. Well, we have two batteries for the engine, right. but they're not usually... Online? Uh, in the line? Are you boondocking? Are you thinking about it? Yes! Maybe you want to think about taking a look at an article that we have. 10 Essential Items Needed for Off-Grid Camping. 
There are many reasons to boondock. Uh, we like to boondock when we are underway and don't want to spend a lot of money on a campsite where we're only going to sleep. Sometimes boondocking is a great thing to do when you want to get away from other people, especially out west. There are many places where you can go and be in the desert or be on your own and, sure. and not be packed in and a well, parking lot. Well, you get that more camping experience where you can have a campfire and, and enjoy the outdoors and wide open spaces. So many campgrounds these days are so crowded and the sites are close together that you don't have an, uh, a camping experience. And we've been to many activities and festivals like the Hot Air Balloon Rally, the Air Show in Oshkosh, where they simply open up fields where you can go and camp and you can really enjoy the activity, but you are on your own. Tampa Super Show could Tampa be another Super one. Sh- yes. So there are many reasons why you want to be ready to boondock, even if you're not a, a nature girl. And you don't have to boondock for days at a time. I mean, it could just be three or four days or just a short period of time. But you need to be able to have that capability, even if it's overnight because of bad weather. We've had to do that, too, where you have to stop at a truck stop or something. Because before you planned on because, it. Because, yeah, before, Especially in because, the winter. Because of the weather. And where can you go in the winter? We are reading so many people who are just selling their house and setting off on the RVing experience, and they're doing it in the middle of winter. And they don't seem to realize that... What you have to do in the middle of the winter is sit. Well, and you need to prepare, too. I can think of places where we've gone through where people seem to be camped there on a more permanent basis, and I saw a lot of heater tape and insulation wrapped around things, and water spigots deep in the ground. You have to think about your water freezing uh, when you are in cold places and how well your rig is insulated. We don't travel during January and February because... The places that you can go in January and February are very limited if you want decent weather. The January and February is limited to southern Florida, southern Texas, parts of Arizona, and southern California. California. So that there's just not that many places to go, and there's not a lot of tourism. So you may as well just kind of go and hunker down for those two months. Well, depending on who you are, there could be well, a, lot, a lot of tourism, but it tends to get crowded because all, everybody is kind of funneled into those same areas, which is what might make boondocking appealing. That's why people go to Quartzsite and exactly. sit out in the desert. But that's nice and far south. To get away from everybody else, yeah. But you just can't travel to these places. People talk about driving across on 70, and that just is not a good idea. It's iffy. It's definitely just, iffy. And unless you're set up for really cold weather, you're going to be in a cold situation that rv better be ready for it and then it makes people do dangerous things somewhere in here we had an article where somebody was running a little space heater which they left on even during the night and they felt pretty safe about it it was running fine they knew if their dog knocked the space heater over it would immediately shut itself off but during the night they began to smell kind of a hot burning smell and they came to find out that their power cord was melting because of the demand the electric demands that were put on oh. it Oh boy, is that bad news! <laughs> and this, and then of course you hear about carbon monoxide stuff every so often too. So I guess we are not cold cold weather lovers, and we are not advocates of doing camping in really cold weather. It just is the downsides seem to outweigh the upsides. This I have to read this a Facebook post about finding a melted extension cord, which Martha just mentioned about. They were just minutes from having a fire. 
Be careful with electric heaters, grounded and ungrounded cord. This is a quote. As I lay there trying to fall asleep, I kept smelling that smell, what smelled like something hot, like plastic burning or something. It wasn't a strong smell, but it worried me. So I got up and went out to the living room in the RV. We are we have a Class A 37-footer. Well, we don't run the furnace at night, but we do have a little space heater that we leave on all night. It wasn't turned up all the way and it shuts off if it tips over. I looked at it and saw nothing that was near it. I couldn't tell where the smell was coming from. Then I looked at the extension cord that the heater was plugged into and it was melting. Plus it was by a blanket. I had covered the couch and it was burning the blanket. I truly believe in another five minutes and this motorhome would have been up in fire. Boy, would that be scary to get up with that in the middle of the night? Mm. And this Facebook post is a real warning that in the winter, if you're running a space heater, you better be really careful and have the right kind of extension cords. Now, they were using you know one of those little brown two-wire extension cords that just doesn't uh, have enough juice capabilities to run a heater. So be careful, please. We don't want to lose any listeners. We don't have that many to begin with. So we need all of you. And we've been talking a lot about electricity, but of course when you boondock, you need to worry about uh, your water carrying capacity too. And we've met people occasionally that are big on being in the desert in the winter, and they do all sorts of creative and crazy things to (laughs) keep reusing the water. Ultimately, the last place it ends up is... Uh, flushing their toilet uh that's something else that you have to think about and people sometimes buy external bladders and other water holding devices to be able to extend their well, the, and the, stay. the dolly with the blue tank on it so that you take the, to the to empty the station. toilet yeah. yeah yeah there are all sorts of strategies and there's some good articles that we are linking to here that we will hope that that you can share we'd love to see you on the boondocking trail but uh most of the time we plug in so as you know we left you last time when we were having our alternator repaired. Our alternator froze up one day and broke our belt, and we took it in for repair, and they put a new one on, and the new one didn't work either. So we had to spend the night. We could drive it. Yeah. And we I was going to say we were boondocked at the repair facility, but yep. they let us plug in, too. That's right. It wasn't really boondocking, no, was it? But, no. But you have to be ready for that sort of stuff, too. But the question came up then... Should we have an extended service repair contract? Our general philosophy is no. Right. When we did have one, it was disappointing. Right. And it's easier to self-insure. For us. And we talked, uh, we're going to share with you in a minute uh, some folks who actually are in the process of buying a new RV, and they're the first-time RVers, and they bought all sorts of contracts to extend their warranty and make sure that they didn't have any problems and to me that's that's probably not a wise thing to do for a couple of reasons one is you're betting that you're going to have problems and even this alternator which cost us fifteen hundred dollars out of pocket yes but it didn't cost nearly what a service contract would have cost service contract would have cost us three or four thousand dollars we have not spent that kind of money and the last time we tried, we had a service contract and we tried to use it. What happened? The service contract specified that we needed to use rebuilt parts. 
Boy. And Aggravating. the mechanic where we were couldn't obtain rebuilt parts. Right. Um, or they thought maybe in a few weeks they could, and we didn't have a few weeks to linger because we needed to get moving again. So the service contract, you're at the mercy of the provider, and their job is to keep you from getting yourself fixed. Even though you've spent a fair amount of money on getting your contract, that doesn't mean that they're going to fix everything that's the problem. The other time we had an issue with that was we needed the head gasket replaced, and the contract specifically said it covered no gaskets. So the $1,200 to replace the head gasket was on us. Even though we had Even a though we had a service contract. And they go out of their way to make sure that you have to pay in, unless every little problem is, uh, is solved in the way they want it to be solved. So it's very aggravating. So we had this alternator repaired, which probably would have been covered. And we even used a rebuilt one. So that was even more within their specifications. But the money that we saved has more than made up for any repairs that we've had on this particular coach. I mean, obviously you, you have... Uh, you're taking a gamble, but I would, would just take the money and put it in a bank, and which is what we've done. And if you need a repair, you get it done. And then you can have it done anywhere. You don't have to have authorization. You don't have to go through Mickey Mouse about uh, exactly what the parts they can use or how it's going to be done or who's Finding going to do it. somebody who will use that insurance. Yeah, so all of that uh, is a negative against extended service contracts, and I just wouldn't have one anymore. And we had a, a friend who did a PDF, which we'll share with you, about comparing various services that offer contracts. Yeah, and I, I think, think that came up. about that before. Yeah. And, of course, that comes right down to quality construction of new RVs. Now, we have, a, I think, a pretty quality RV, and it's, it's expensive. There's no question about it. But the other night we were watching one of these uh, RV buying shows, and... The couple on the on the show was going to go on the road, bring their three small children, and they had a budget for their trailer slash their new RV, their new RV of forty thousand dollars. Now, what do you get for forty thousand dollars? Now, remember what they're really doing—a nice car. Yeah. Now, what they're yeah they had a truck. Now, what they're really doing is is that they are expecting house quality for $40,000 and they're buying an RV. And even if you are in one of the more affordable areas of our country, you might be able to buy a nice garage for $40,000. That just is, it just isn't going to happen. You would expect it to come out of the factory in perfect condition, but that's probably not going to happen. We're going to provide you with a link from a delivery guy who delivers motorhomes or trailers to dealers. Takes it from the factory where it was made and delivers it to the person which, who's going to sell it. Which is an expensive process because that's a one and a one deal. And, I mean, and one and guy drives it and he has to drive it all the way. So and if you the were, delivery fee is often part of the price oh, of the rent too yeah. because of that. But his stories, and I, I, I hesitate to believe many of the stories that you hear from new owners because they're new new owners and they didn't know what to expect in the first place. But this guy is a driver who drives these all the time, has delivered thousands of RVs to dealers, and has found major defects in some of the RVs. And that's really disappointing to think that quality control at the factories is so bad that they don't connect up the, the gas filler or they... He's driving down the road and the bed falls out of the out of the sky. I don't know what to do about quality construction. And it's hard to see it because yes. a lot of the things that cause problems are not things that are easily observed. 
but you need to be very aware and make sure that when you buy something that you've checked all out all of the options and make sure that it all works good and that it's up to the standards that you've set for a new RV. Um, and that's just kind of good practice. And that means that you look at more than just the floor plan, that you look at the construction. Is it made out of aluminum? studs or is it or is it wooden studs load the axles are they big enough how are the brakes you know are they disc brakes or are they drum brakes so all of these factors make a difference in the long-term usability of your rv the lesson to me is that as a young person you probably have learned how to buy a new car and how to negotiate with the car dealership and how to look for a quality car or as quality as you can afford and at some point in your life most americans also buy some kind of a home and they've learned about the financing process for that and about having a home inspection but when you buy an rv that's a whole nother breed of cat because you need to have some of the topics from buying a car and buying a home thoroughly investigated before you put down your money and sign on the dotted line there's a lot to know and it can be hard because you don't know what you don't know and hanging around with people who <laughs> who have had experiences both good and bad will begin to give you some insights about uh, things to look for before you buy an RV for yourself. And Facebook isn't always the best place to ask questions because I look at the answers that people give and I just go, whoa, <laughs> that is way off base. But you need to do the research and find what's good for you and what works. We have several links that will help you with this. And uh, a link to the article that I mentioned about the driver and a couple who have gone through some big problems. Shopping. And, and shopping and give you some tips about uh, what, to, what to look for when you're shopping. A 20-year mortgage on a... You see these quotes on the TV about, uh, you know, getting your Only your 369 RV. a month. For the next 20 years, how many RVs are going to be around in 20 years of these RVs? And an RV like a car does not appreciate. You don't buy it as an investment, a financial investment. You might be investing in fun and experiences, but it's not going to grow your bank account. All right. How about DuckDuckGo? That's the browser that I usually use. Not the browser. The searching tool that I usually use. Got to get our terms straight here. Because I read that Google keeps track of everything that I do. And now, can I use DuckDuckGo with Safari? Yeah. Can I use DuckDuckGo with Explorer? Any browser. Oh, any browser. Chrome. Yes. Any browser. So when I am going to search something, I open my browser, and then I put in DuckDuckGo, and then it has that little box where you type the term for what you want to search for, and it doesn't remember it or track it in any way. So have you gotten ads when you type in something in a search engine, ads for the product that you type in? Yes. Yes. And why is that? Because your browser and your search engine tracks you. They know that you are browsing and where where the sites that you visit. Do you want this to happen? I understand that this bothers people our age more than it bothers young people because they're just used to it, I guess. Oh, are we old? Yes, we are. Well, they don't care. And I guess I don't mind getting an ad for something that I truly am looking for, but I also get ads for things you've been looking for, which which always consternates me a bit, and then just all this stuff that's out of the field. I don't even know where it's coming from. But Google is free. Well, that's how you're paying for it. Uh-huh. Google, if ads. anything is free, then you know that you're the product, so that they are mining information about you and 
DuckDuckGo is an alternative to Google that does not track you. So we have made it our go-to search Searching engine uh-huh. so that we are not tracked. Where does DuckDuckGo make its money? They sell ads. But I don't see them. Yes, you do. You see ads, but they're not focused on on me. Not, they're not focused on you. So DuckDuckGo has ads, but they are not targeted to you specifically. Seems like I see less ads than I do with well, other. Well, they don't need to make as much money. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> they would like to, but they can't. And another thing that we've done to beat things up is we've gotten SSDs. She looks at me skeptically, ladies and gentlemen, and asks. It's a solid state drive. Ooh. She's Are you learned. impressed? I'm very impressed. I can talk the talk, but I can't walk the walk. As you know, in your computer, you have a hard drive, and that hard drive has a spinning platter that's run by the battery in the computer. And that spinning platter is a mechanical process that has little electronic heads that go back and forth to read the data off that makes your computer work. But for a long time, those have been the, one of the problem areas for laptop computers because it's a mechanical process. Precision with which a drive like that is made is very critical, and if it's banged around, it will crash, and that's what a hard drive crash is. Oh, I, I thought the laptops that I have bought have SSDs in them. So all of the new good computers have SSDs in them, and lately all of the Apple laptops have SSDs, which means that it's a solid-state device, which means that it's a hard drive that looks to the computer like a standard hard drive, but it has no mechanical parts. And lately, I've been buying uh, external SSDs. They've been very expensive until now. Recently, they've become much cheaper so that you can actually have an SSD as an external device to store all of your pictures and things that uh, don't fit on your laptop. So I would recommend, dear listener, that you maybe, if you're looking for additional storage space in your laptop or your computer, that you take a look at an SSD. Not only are they extremely fast, but they are also very reliable and very small size. So you can get one that's uh, multiple terabytes and it fits in the palm of your hand because it has no mechanical moving parts. And, of course, you can bang it around and not have to worry about it. So if I have an old laptop, I can just buy an SSD and plug it in and use it to store all of the work that I do on that laptop? Is that correct? Yes, or you can take the old hard drive out and put in an SSD, and it will give your computer new life because it will think everything will happen much faster. That's easy for someone like me to do? On many laptops, it is. It They're is. made to be replaced. Mm. But the boot drive is easy to replace and put the SSD in. And they make them for very for every computer, and they're quite inexpensive to put in, I think. And it will give your, your computer new life. We saw a special on the Today Show, I think it was, uh, where, where the reporter we call Mr. Scary, because he's always talking about people ripping you off or attacking you or doing dangerous things. He's very excited about this ProTech DNA product, which comes as a gel or on a little sticker, and you put it on anything valuable that you have. I plan on using it on my bike and on my laptop, and it leaves a little speck of traceable 
stuff that you can tell is there if you have a black light to look at it. And you register... This all sounds very high-tech. You register your spec on a website, and when the police or a pawn shop cover your stolen item, they can uh, look at it with a black light and trace it back to you. So this is high-tech working at, at its best. Basically, Protect DNA, which is the name of the company, has partnered with all sorts of law enforcement and this has actually been around for quite a while but i had never heard of it so basically you get this gel that has <laughs> microscopic Be- numbers beads in, it? Be- beads in it i guess and so they're almost invisible on your computer but they're they are visible with uv light so we ordered uh the set and we're about to put it on our bikes and things because you can put it on and it's almost invisible and so somebody's stealing your device or your your computer or whatever it happens to be they won't even know it's they there. won't even know it's there right the police will scan it with a black light and they'll see the numbers and they'll be able to return the device to you and this has gotten a lot of play apparently so the bottom line is you're going to put your valuables into a database you're going to mark them with the dna stuff which makes is almost invisible and if they are stolen the police and pawn shops and other places that uh, receive stolen merchandise will then know who's the owner this makes it almost impossible for things to be uh, permanently stolen if they're found and obviously the insurance industry is incredibly excited about this because they'd much rather have you get your stuff back than pay for whatever was lost or stolen so they are uh, very enthusiastically behind and, this process. And they're subsidizing it. So this is uh, actually very inexpensive for us as users to, to use. So there are three choices. One is this gel, which it comes in a little gel pack that has these beads in it that like are numbered. Like putting a dab of nail polish on something. But it's invisible. Right. And then you can get a, which we also got, is a forensic pen, which you can write your number your special number on it and then the third are dna labels of course they're using dna in the human terms but they're actually this is unique to you as your dna is and if you put like the label on your bike and somebody notices it and they rip it off even when they rip it off some leaves the bits of the beads stay behind yeah and i was very surprised that it's important to enter detailed description of each items because starting in 2019 protect dna will will begin to match property details with pawn shop transactions searching for a match by law Every pawn store transaction must include a full description of the item being pawned, a government identification, and a fingerprint of the person selling the item. The transaction data must be supplied to law enforcement. If there's a match from a pawn sale transaction, law enforcement will be notified if the seller's name is different from what the owner provided to our system. By entering the details of your property, you can be identified if your property was sold to a pawn shop. Now, that seems like a great benefit. And we got this whole kit for less than $25, so it's not a big expense on your part. I'm not sure how many items it will handle, but it's certainly a nice place to start. And that's ProTechDNA, one word, and .com. So if you want to take a look at them, view their site and get all the details for yourself.
What other high-tech things have we been dealing with this month? If you've been listening to us for a while, you know that every so often I complain about our <laughs> RV being too dark. And when we were like last the, month, for instance, when we were at the Tampa Super <laughs> Show, we re- replaced our LEDs with brighter ones, which has helped a lot. But RVs have a lot of nooks and crannies, and when you open a cabinet door, it could be so narrow that you have room to put your spices in there or it could go back deeper than your arm we have a lot of these really deep cabinets in our rig and seeing what's in the back and being able to retrieve it is always a a conundrum and ken has bought me ken has found the solution ladies and gentlemen and he has worked on it diligently since he's bought me a variety of different (laughs) lighting possibilities uh, some of which are kind of annoying and need frequent battery replacements and keep the doors from closing properly but he finally found one that i really like and i really oh boy it's taken a long time ladies and gentlemen and he has worked diligently to try to get this solution into effect and finally it's an under counter led usb motion sensing usb i like that it's rechargeable with your usb (gasps) and i like that it's motion sensing in particular when i'm cooking and i'm reaching in the back of my cabinets and my hands are not clean i don't want to have to turn a light on and it just (gasps) senses that i'm there and it illuminates what i need to fish out and not only that but they're magnetic so that they just sit in the cabinet or under the counter on anything magnetic it'll stick or it comes with little metal strips so that you can with adhesive on them so that you can make an area magnetic you can put them almost anywhere and they detach very quickly so that you can recharge them using your usb these are really cool i like these a lot that's the best so i bought two sets ladies and gentlemen we have gone to great lengths to provide more light for the lady in the kitchen those we got from amazon yeah how nice amazon (laughs) our friend how about let's talk about 3d printers I don't have a lot of feelings about 3D printers. Oh, I want a 3D printer. They're cool in the abstract, but when I really think about having one, especially in the But I can make USB lights with them. (laughs) It's just... uh... It just seems like you have to have designing talents. I know there are all these templates that Make you can... Make parts and accessories for your RV. That you can buy for your printer so it can print stuff for you. And you need different kinds of substances that it uses as ink. But they're much cheaper than they used to be. I still need to in be... In three dimensions. I still need to be sold on this one. Make stuff that I can use, make for mountings and brackets and clips well maybe at home maybe somebody out there has a 3d printer they can yeah, tell you me need to sell it to me <laughs> the 51 percent of the purse has not said yes oh, but, <laughs> they're but, they're cool but i can't quite see what i would use it and for. as they mentioned you, you can print with all sorts of different things substances yeah Subs- that, are, that are more or less durable depending on what you're trying to, i know to make i read it and you can post the link so that our listeners can read it too and then they can get some ideas and send them to me maybe Ooh. no they need to send them to me <laughs> you've already got ideas <laughs> but i need a 3d printer so are you a 365 day full-timer no do i you am- want to be No, I am fortunate to still be able to afford to own my house, which I will enjoy going back to in warmer weather. But for many people, this is not a financial choice, or it's just not something that they want. And I marvel, as I'm reading more and more articles these days, about young families who are living in RVs, because you and I are in a 
big motorhome and we have big four slides and it's just the two of us but i still always feel like i could use a little more space sure and when i remember, think about being a, a family of five living in some of these little trailers full time i admire the people who figure out how to do it but there are definitely people doing it some people have jobs where they have to travel around the country and stay in various places for periods of time, which makes uh, living in an RV more practical. We met a couple who used to listen to us. Maybe they still do. He was a he taught uh-huh. uh, motorcycle mechanics oh, yeah. how to repair motorcycles, and he would be based in a place for a while, and he would be gone from home, and his wife m- missed him. So they decided just to sell their home, and she came in the RV with him as he moved from training location to training location. So there are all sorts of definitions of full-time RVer. Yeah, so it's you can't just think about it like camping, which is, uh-huh. I think, how we started. And how well, I think, think a lot of people it. think about that. They think about getting into the RV life, and they think about having campfires and s'mores but is if you move twice a year from minnesota to florida and in the winter and the summer is that our full-time rving it could be if you're living full-time in your rv if you're a family of four who six or five who buys a forty thousand dollar trailer and lives in that lives in that yeah are they full-timing that's not quite the same thing as the is well is there a definition of an rv yeah, it's what a is temporary, it? <laughs> temporary, <laughs> temporary housing. <laughs> I think this. I think is the real definition. We talked about that last month. The RV world is very complex, and certainly these days, as more and more people are able to make a living electronically with Wi-Fi type jobs, it's easy to be anywhere. I hope that this helps. I, I've been kind of sad reading about the more rural areas of our country that are bleeding people and towns are closing up. And wasn't it Vermont that was bribing uh-huh. people yeah. $5,000 a year to come and live there and work Especially remotely. if you had an e-job. Yeah. It would be nice if, if people could populate the less Here is how urban the areas. RV Industry Association defines RV. It's a vehicle designed as a temporary living quarters for recreational camping or seasonal use. Notice the word temporary. A ruling last week by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development also made it clear that RV is for temporary living only. It wrote an RV is a vehicle or vehicular structure not certified as manufactured home, designed only for recreational use and not as a primary residence or for permanent occupancy. So even the government thinks that RVing is not a full-time thing to do. And as long as you can get yourself a permanent address, what do they know? Exactly. How do you RV yourself? We well, and we are, post it on the audience. We are tourists. We like to travel and see new stuff. And we know a lot of people our age who are grandparents, first and foremost, and they travel the country visiting oh, yeah. one child and their grandchildren after another. Americans tend to live here, there, and everywhere, and that's such a nice way to... if your job takes you from here to there? ...to be with family without having to impose So why does the government define it as, and the Recreational Vehicle Association define it as temporary? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. We don't know the answer to it. And now, talking about little RVs, the incredible new teardrop trailer that sleeps six... Did we see this? No. We only see it in the picture. We did see it at the RV show. It's like a slide-out and a slide-out and a slide-out. It's a teardrop, and you, everybody knows what a teardrop looks like. It's a, a very short trailer, trailer with a single axle. shaped like a teardrop. Right. But this one expands 
Twice. Horizontally. Twice. And it has, the slides are... Like telescoping. Way cool. Very interesting idea. It's from Bauer. B-E-A-U-E-R. Not France. Uh-huh. So maybe it's not available so in America. take a look at our website, and we will share with you all sorts of links. Europeans are better at creative small RVs than we are. Because they don't have space. Yes. Like we do. So that about does it for this month. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. We have enjoyed bringing it to you, and we hope to hear from you. If you want to send us a email, please do. Click on our the link on our website at rvnavigator.com and click on episode number... number <laughs> what number are we on? Episode, 167. Episode 167. And this is for March 2019. And we hope that we will be back in the United States <laughs> in time and in good health so that we can talk to you again for the April podcast after our adventure in So Antarctica. will we see people in a campground near us? In Antarctica? No. But will we see camp people in a campground near us? We've had visitors already this month, and we hope we will have some visitors next month. When we come back here. When we come back, because we'll be back in the middle of the month. But do not expect any communication from us until after March 15th. Hopefully we'll have a lot of good adventures to tell you about. Yep, we're looking forward to it. And we're looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in a campground near us in the not-too-distant future. Happy travels. Bye now. Bye now.